Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to enhance your physical and emotional well-being and encourage community. And I say encourage community because I believe that human beings are basically friendly, tribal animals. And when we associate with one another in small enough groups where we know each other by name, or at least by face. We are very collaborative, and we like to do things together. We like to hang out together, and we're basically nice to one another. The village of Mendocino in Mendocino County, California, is an excellent example of this. There are 1,000 people in the village. They have no police force. They have a volunteer fire department. They have virtually no crime. 1,000 people. Eventually, they know each other by name or face. If you'll recall, Plato advised that 1,000 was the proper number, the most effective number for people to be collective. But while we're congratulating ourselves and appreciating ourselves for our collaborations and for all the things we do, like eating and golfing and playing games and, and literary circles, all the different ways we hang out together, it's also imperative that we stay aware that there's another part of humanity that is very different. Look throughout all of history, whether you want to go back to Caesar, you want to go before Caesar to the pharaohs who lived with 1% at the top and 99% slaves, you want to go to Napoleon Bonaparte, where? Hitler, most recently Bolsonaro, Trump. These are different people. They would have us be subjects rather than citizens. That is their agenda. And it's up to us, the vast majority of humanity, to be ever mindful of those people and to do what we need to do to maintain our democracy, one person, one vote, and our republic. Everyone is equal before the law. We must stay awake, friends. In the words of one of my heroes, Thomas Jefferson, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Today, it's our honor to have with us Neil Gahani who wrote in after reading in our newsletter that we were looking for people who have had psychedelic experiences that have made profound changes on their lives, and Neil contacted us. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Neil. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, for having me here. Neil, you you came over to this country from India when you were, what, four and a half years old? Well, I, I was actually in India. I was sent to India at a, uh, to a military boarding school at four and a half. I was handed off to a flight attendant and uh, they took care of me and, and dropped me off uh, to my uncle's in, in Mumbai. And then he dropped me off in a train and I was picked up by somebody, some strangers uh, in Pune. And that's where I went to school. So I didn't see my family for nine months out of a year from the time I was four and a half till the time I graduated high school. I came to this country after that when I was 16 years old and I didn't know a soul uh, in this country, and I ended up in the Midwest to go get my education. So your parents sounds like they were very influenced by the English educational system, where the upper classes sent their children to boarding schools when they were four and a half or five years old. Yeah, they actually they weren't. Uh, the 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 notion of a boarding school is sort of a very, um, if you look at it from an American perspective, it, it's sort of 
uh, you know, it's like the wealthy people send their kids to there, but this is not what it was. It was just a school where somebody could take care of you. Uh, you know, it was it was a boarding school in the sense that I didn't come home every weekend. That that was it. But it was not for wealthy students at all. It was just for you know, my parents didn't really. My my mom, you know, uh, was only a BS, and my dad never got a college degree. He worked as a technician in um, you know in in a telephone company, and so that was the cheapest place that they could send me because ah. you know. And my mom even worked. She worked her entire life in the airlines just so she could get a ninety percent discount for us. She hated working there, but she decided to work there for as long as all the kids were in school, so she could fly us back and forth every four and a half months or so. And fly you back and forth to where? Where did the folks live while you were in school there? So my my dad was transferred to the Middle East. Uh, he worked for a British telecom company and he was transferred to the uh, Middle East. So my parents were living in the Middle East. You know, they couldn't, they were like non-citizens because they couldn't own property. Uh, you know, they were just, you know, they were just like migrants working there and their labor was, you know, exploited while they were working there. And so, you know, they, they that's all they could do at that time. And, you know, there, there were no like good schools there um, until much, much later when an international school had opened up and, you know, and about when I was 11 years old. But up until that time, you know, there was nothing for them to send me to. So if they wanted me to have an education. They they had to send me to India, which at least they knew there were some family members there in Mumbai that, you know, if something did happen, like somebody was there. So from, from a certain perspective, your folks were captives. Yeah, they, they effectively were. I mean, you know, like it's it my my parents, I didn't appreciate this when I was I was a child. I thought this was a normal life for me for anyone, actually, uh, as a child, you know, and and uh, I didn't really realize it, even though my mom was telling me stories. My mom actually grew up in a refugee camp, you know, and she she watched her watched her mom die in a refugee camp. And when I had my when I was dealing with her death in, in June of 2020, and I hadn't had a chance to grieve because I was dealing with her affairs. Um, and I had my psychedelic experience, my sort of transforming, life-transforming psychedelic experience in June of 2021. That's when I cried for four hours. And that's when I realized that, you know, I was my mom uh, in the refugee camp watching her mom, you know, die in the refugee camp. And that that was super transformative for me. It sort of completely changed, you know, how I thought about things and how I thought about life and death and what I wanted to do on this planet. So yeah, it was it was very traumatic for me, but it's also very very rewarding because that was the first time I could actually feel things for the for the first time in my life. You know, I wasn't this stoic, you know, Indian king, particularly people from India and Asian cultures, we are we are very we come from very stoic uh cultures where we're not, you know, we're not uh, taught how to show ex- uh, emotions or express our emotions. We don't have those things taught to us. So for me there was a learning curve on just being able to just learn how to how to express or even feel the emotions for the first time in my life. Uh, so that was super transformative for me. Interesting that you mentioned the word stoic twice, because the Stoics, of course, Marcus Aurelius, the best example, the Stoic philosopher, uh, emperor, and then Seneca, who comes down to us, they really spoke almost the opposite of the way you're speaking. You're talking about how important and significant it was that you had this release of emotion and tears and grieving for your family, for your mother and for your grandmother. And they are talking about detaching completely from the world around and experiencing life internally, period. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting that we, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, it, in, in a way I was for the first time experiencing uh, a part of my life that I've never had a chance to actually experience internally. My first experience with psychedelics was probably, you know, my first sort of exposure that something was off was probably in 2015 when I realized that I'm a, I'm a successful Indian. I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. I work in tech most of my life by all external methods, you know, or external uh, points of view that I'm fairly successful working in the tech world. I should be happy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm married. I should be happy. I have a house, all that kind of stuff. I should be completely happy, right? I'm living in San Francisco. It should be great that I'm living in San Francisco. But I just wasn't very happy uh, in, in 2015. And I didn't know why. I, I just knew something was off. I didn't know what it was off. I didn't know what triggered the, the, that sensation at all. But that's when I first realized it. And even then, it took me two years to even have my first psychedelic experience because I was always told that drugs, all kinds of drugs are bad. And so I had all of that fed into me. And so even though I knew something was off and, and I was starting to study it, I didn't really realize it until 2017. 2017 was the first time that I got to be essentially a kid. I, I got to be a five-year-old in an adult body and I was free. For the first time in my life, I was completely free. And I was you know, laughing. I was among my friends. I was talking to strangers. I was hugging strangers. You know, it was, it was like, it was a beautiful experience, but at the same time, I didn't know what this was. Something had triggered in me and I didn't know what this was. And I wanted to sort of learn and discover more about myself and more about these things that I was learning for the first time. And that's when I started researching and studying, um, you know, uh, mental health and psychedelic assisted therapies. Uh, that's when I started reading a lot about it and I almost ended up doing an ayahuasca ceremony in, in Colombia. But I didn't because the shaman didn't show up. But it took me three years from then to find somebody to help me. And it was now, a lot of friction and pain in the process. That 2017 experience, what psychedelic did you take at that time? It was MDA. It was MDMA. MDA, not MDMA. Oh, MDA. Okay, MDA. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then it was three years that you had to wait for the next one. And yeah. now the Latins, the Romans really conquered most of the world. And during Pax Romana, there was a 200-year period that they had pretty much the whole world conquered. And so their influence and the Greek influence on the Romans of Stoicism has come down to us. You're talking about having been trained and feeling the remnants of that or the modern-day representatives of that in India. The English, as you well know, have a reputation for being what we call stiff upper lip, which yeah. means they hold their emotions in. The right. Germans, the Germans, of course, are epitomized, epitomized by some, maybe the fascist in the 30s or, or the, the Gestapo, those stony faces showing no emotion. This is influence from the, uh, coming down from the Stoics. But now, as you're experiencing, and many of us have been experiencing since the second, the beginning of the second half of the 20th century, we have something very different going on, which is the holding up for value of the expression of feeling. I mean, yeah. we, and in this United States, we, of course, are descended from the Stoics and the Puritans didn't show emotion and they didn't really have much frivolity. 
the founder of our country, or the man that's considered the father of our country, I should say, not the founder, George Washington, was afraid to dance in public, even though he was a good dancer, because he was yeah. afraid it would hurt his reputation. That's the kind yeah, of that, that's exactly. what we're descended from. So now we that's have right. these these last fifty years started by something called uh, the humanistic psychology movement and the transpersonal psychology movement, and it has changed the way we look and feel about emotions. So that's what happened to you. You you joined another, you might even say political group, if you will, right? Or a tribe. One, I don't know. I joined a tribe. What tribe? tribe? That's right. People who feel. Yeah. Right. It's the people who think it's important to stay stiff up a lip and show no emotion, and they stand by that. And the people who think it's important to let emotion out, to laugh, to cry, to grieve, but not just inside, but to let it out. Because yeah. those of us who are in the let it out field, we believe that if you keep it in, you get all blocked up. And you, yeah. <laughs> right? So I want to yeah. hear what happened next three years later. Yeah. So three, three years later, you know, like I was, I was searching, there was a, you know, because I was new to this and, you know, it was, it was so challenging to even know what questions to ask because I wanted, a, you know, a facilitated therapeutic experience but I didn't know what questions to ask. I was, you know, I'm like anybody else. I'm cur I was curious about it, but I didn't really know much at that time, even though I was reading a lot, I didn't know much in terms of how, how do I connect with someone who's going to help me? How do I, how do I know I can trust them? How do I know what the reputation is? You know, there was a lot of shamans that I'd heard about and, you know, everybody can claim to be a shaman. And, and so I wasn't really sure so it took me a long while to basically find somebody. I did my, I, for the first time in my life, and I think in January or February of 2020 um, was when I had my first uh, therapy session uh, with ever, you know, like just a normal therapy session. I'd never even had that before. That was the first time I'd done that. And then in March of 2020, when I was uh, laid off from my, from my job, I decided, okay, I'm not going to look for a job. I'm going to kind of figure out how to work on my work on myself at the time. And it was, you know, then it was June of 2020 and I was ready. I was like, I was talking to this person, my therapist, and, and I was ready to go on, on a journey uh, at that point. Then, then, you know, then my mom died in June of 2020. And so I had to postpone that. So my first journey was really October of 2020 with MDMA, which is with the high dose MDMA. With, that, was, uh, that was in the beginning of the pandemic. That was, yeah, that was actually towards, you know, it was halfway through the pandemic. So the yeah. pandemic started in like March of 2020. March, right. And so, yeah, so we're talking about like October of 2020. So it was about uh -huh. six months later, uh, you know, into the pandemic. And, and um, uh, you, say, you you refer to your dose of MDMA as a high dose. Do you know how many milligrams? Yeah, it was it was about 120 or so milligrams of, oh. of uh, MDMA. Uh, actually, if I don't mind, that's not really a high dose. That's yeah, not super it, high. No, it's no anything between 120 and 145, roughly, is a, a normal first dose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think well, they said I could go up to 250 or something like that. But I it, well, think, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People do, but typically, typically 135 is enough for the for the initial, and then the booster is half that. Although yeah. uh, Rick Doblin told me recently that they're finding that some people get as much out of 75 as they do out of 125 or 30. Yeah, and, and, and I, I got a lot out of it because for me, it just, it just like opened, it just, it, it felt like a very heart opening uh, therapeutic experience for me. 
it was the first time my, it was very dreamlike. So it was like, I was underwater the entire time. Like it was a very dreamlike experience underwater, even though I'm scared to death of water. You know, you I'm, <laughs> I'm scared to death of deep water. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very nervous about deep water. So oh, I don't like to swim in the ocean very oh, much. You know, I like to touch my feet to the ground. Uh, but, but my whole experience was underwater and I wasn't scared at all uh, during the entire period, which was like fascinating to me. Uh, that I did not did not feel afraid or anything like that. I was just willing to willing to let go uh, at that time. But it was very dreamy. It was very dreamy like experience. And it wasn't until January January of 2021 then I did a combination, which was MDMA plus about four and a half or five grams of, of mushrooms uh, at that time. Um, so that was my second. That was my second experience. Uh, you took about 100 or 125 milligrams of MDMA and about, what, three or four grams of uh, psilocybin? Yeah, about four and a half grams of psilocybin. Four yeah. and a half. Oh, you took a nice big dose. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and what, did you have a, 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 six, a, six, a good six-hour experience, perhaps? Yeah, it was, it was a great six-hour experience, but it was not profound for me, uh, you know, at that time. And I think yes. as... And I was talking to my therapist, you know, it was, it was very, it was very nice, but it was, wasn't super profound, you know, um, and, and I, and I was talking to her about it and I told her, you know, I felt like, I felt like I needed to go deeper into myself. I told yes. her like, yes. I, what I felt like was, you know, I had this shell built up all my life and, and, you know, I had only poked a few holes in it. So very, very few people could come in to my life because I was filtering everybody from coming in. And after this sort of four and a half grams of mushroom experience, I felt like my arm had popped out of the shell, but my body wasn't completely out of the shell yet. Good you for know? you. Good for you. And Great so, work. So I Great felt like work. Yeah. So I said I needed to do something that was going to be more deep and more profound because I wanted to just learn about this. And it wasn't until June of 2021 Time. when I did seven grams. Before you tell us about the seven grams, which I very much want to hear about, I'm going to yeah. take a sidebar. Why do you think people are afraid of death? You know, I think I think it's the fear of the unknown. They don't know what's coming. And and I don't know why exactly, but you know, I think it's just it's just the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen. People have been told a lot of things and we've been told in a lot of ways that that is scary or it's bad or it's, you know, it's 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 somehow like, you know, it's like time's running out and you feel like that time is running out and you feel like, you know, you're going to die and then you're not going to like appreciate living in the present. Uh, you know, we always, we always worry about the past and we always worry about the future and we forget that, you know, we can live here and now. So I don't know really why people are scared of that. Uh, maybe, you know, Maybe they just maybe it's the unknown, or maybe it's the well, you, it's you what keep been told. You keep coming back to the unknown. So let's say that there's a certain amount of accuracy in your theory that it's the unknown. Then let's talk about why are people afraid of the unknown? How yeah. is it? How is it that we look at the unknown as scary rather than oh boy, something great is coming down the pike? It's unknown. I can't wait yeah, for it. Exactly. Yeah. We we talk about like aliens from coming from out of space. Rarely do I hear people say 
oh boy, I can't wait to meet them, get together for a drink, have some dinner, whatever it is. You know, this is going to be hot stuff when they appear. It's always this scary stuff. They're coming down to do bad things to us. They're going to eat us alive. They're going to take over our body. Yeah. Neil. Yeah, maybe the death is a, maybe for people, death feels like a negative, like a negative emotion. So I think negative emotions generally or negative feelings generally are more pronounced or more prominent in people's lives. And maybe some people associate that with negativity. Um, and maybe that's what people are scared about, or that's what makes them super nervous about it. And yeah, you're right. Once you, once you accept it and, and uh, you realize that, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to die. It's okay. It's, it's okay. And it's not scary at all. It's actually, you know, I can live my life now, uh, which is, which is beautiful. I, I wonder what we're doing to ourselves that inconvenient and scary experiences take up so much room on our radar screen when compared to very convenient and very lovely experiences. Like I can remember a friend of mine used to come and visit. We go driving up in the hills at Wilbur Hot Springs together. One time he got stuck in the mud. 15 years later, he remembers getting stuck in the mud. When he talks about going to Wilbur, oh yeah, I went to Wilbur, I got stuck in the mud. He doesn't talk about all the times he went up and we looked at the flowers and looked at the trees and had a picnic and right. had a great time. And I think that's indicative of the whole culture. You, have yeah. a, you know, we have a flat tire in the middle of the night. It's something we remember, but 10,000 miles on that same road without, without, an, without any tire flats, we don't think about. That's right. Yeah, we don't appreciate. I think this is one thing, like after, after my journey, I went to Vipassana for 10 days, right? And I had like silent meditation for 10 days because I was a, a part of my integration process. And, and I remember from the lessons of Vipassana was that, you know, we, we avoid unpleasant things. So uh, generally the past is sort of, we have an aversion to it and we crave, we crave the, the future and, and nice things. And it's sort of teaching about us like the moment to live, both of those things will pass and the moment to live is right now because if you're always craving and always avoiding, you never get to actually enjoy and be present uh, in, in the moment. And that was one of the lessons that I sort of took with me. And I live, I live that way now, not all the time, but I try all the you know, majority of the time to live that way, to appreciate, to be with someone and be connected to someone in the moment, in the present. And that allowing me my, allowing my expression of feelings to be able to be expressed in the moment. Not only do I recognize them, I can now express them in the moment. Uh, if I'm feeling blissful with someone, I, I tell them in that moment that I'm, I'm really in a state of bliss with you right now. You know, and um, it's something that I would never been able to do ever in my life. How are you doing right now? Are you having a good time with this interview? I think this is awesome. This is a great time to have to be talking to you. It's, it's like, you know, I'm learning, learning as well. So it's, it's great. Take us to that next experience, seven grams. We want to hear about it. Wow. Um, yeah. So seven grams was in June of 2021. And that just, you know, completely blew me away. I mean, I, I cried so hard for four straight hours. My therapist was holding my hand the entire time. She had her hand on my chest to make sure that my breathing was so heavy that I was okay, but I was completely fine. But I was also like, that's the time I, I was able to grieve uh, for my mom and, and, all, and, and just appreciate all, the, all my friends and people in my life. I was also switching dimensions. Like I, every time I had an emotion, I would switch to a different dimension. So I would switch from, you know, pain 
to joy, to ecstasy, to love, to bliss. And I would just switch. Each emotion would make me switch in these different dimensions. And and towards the end, I would feel like I was going down this vortex where all of these emotions were wrapped up into one. And I just felt like I wanted to keep going and keep going and keep. And I kept I kept telling my therapist and she was saying like, yeah, let's just keep going. Let's just go as far as we can go. And just, I feel like it should never end. I just want to keep going where I can go to see where this, you know, where this unknown is. And it was dark and it was deep and it was, it was just amazing. And then when I woke up from them and I kept saying, the world needs to know about this. The world needs to know. I kept repeating that over and over again. <laughs> and when I woke up and I said, the world needs to know, I told her flat out. And it, and really three months later, the idea of Mind Lumen was born because I said, I need to, I need to figure out how to help the world need to know about this. And what can I do using my skill set, my talent, time and labor to, to help the world know about this and help, you know, the 970 million to a billion people who are suffering from, from mental health, anxiety, depression, get them, get them from a stage of curiosity to get the stage of readiness so they can go experience this for themselves. And, and I want to help navigate them to the safest possible experience, safest possible therapeutic level experience. Uh, and that's, that's, how, that's how this idea was born. And that's, that's when I said, okay, I'm going to use my, my experience and my tech skills and try to apply it to something in this space. And it was just so profound. Uh, and, and even my friends told me, like, they said, wow, you know, you've changed a lot in the last two years, you know, and, and they, I didn't have to tell them, they were telling me, uh, you know, and I said, yeah, I feel good about the changes, even though my mom had died, I'm, I'm going, I'm in the middle of a middle of a divorce. Um, it's, it's profound as to how that impacted my life and the way I live. Um, and it's just every day now, you know, my personal life sort of became this open. I finally like cracked the shell open and I was able to tell people like, yeah, everybody can come into my life now. Everybody can come into my life. Yes, I know that there will be people that may disappoint me, that may hurt me, that may betray my trust. I know that's going to happen. But 99.9% of the people in this world are genuinely nice if you just open yourself up and let them here, in. Here, here, here. You know, and, and yes, there'll be a few people that may not be, but then you can adjust to that. You can adapt to that. You know, I always had the ability to adapt, but now I'm adapting in a very, very different way to the human connection because that's what's super important to me now. The deep, meaningful human connection is what motivates me. It builds my relationships. It makes my relationships closer to all my friends. And, and I have cherished group of people that are very, very close to me. And um, that only would have happened, it only happened, I think, as a result of this transformative experience that I had in June of 2021. That changed me. That changed me like in a very, very profound way that I'm still integrating into my life, you know, every day. And then just two weeks ago, I had a second transformative experience uh, with ayahuasca. And that, you know, now is even more, <laughs> you know, more transformative for me. So yeah, it's, it's, been, let, it's been amazing. Let's put the ayahuasca on the shelf for a minute. We'll take another sidebar, then we'll come back to the ayahuasca. It sounds to me like one of the great lessons you've learned is that for many of us, only now exists. There isn't anything else. 
And so at this very moment, Neil is not with his friends or his family or anybody else. And Richard is not with his friends and his family or anybody else. The most important person in my life right now is Neil Kahani. And the most important person in your life is Richard Miller, because this is all we have at this moment. That's right. And, and for me, when we live in this state of presentness, it's, there's only gratitude, because it's so wonderful to be able to have this state, and particularly when you compare it to the zillions of sperm and eggs who never made it to become a person and went into nothingness in the world. You know, we were the fastest swimmers and the best receivers, and we got here. Right. So yeah. that sounds like a wonderful lesson you learned about about the now, the great. Yeah, now. it exactly. I think that that's been profound and that's been guiding me, you know, every day is to stay present um, and stay connected to, you know, in the moment. Yes. And uh, appreciate the moments, you know, whether they are challenging moments or happy moments, they are moments. That's and right. Those moments, those moments. You know, the happiness or the sadness may come and go, but appreciating every bit of it is is uh, so important to you because if you don't, you're gonna like worry about things and drive you crazy and be very anxious and add stress to your life. And and I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a founder and a shepherd of a company. I make no money, and yet I'm you know in the middle of a divorce. I'm yet I'm the happiest I've ever been is because I'm focusing on what I need to do right here, right now, not worrying about what tomorrow brings or the next moment brings. It's, it's trying to be present all the time. Not easy to do, but it's, it's something I constantly work at and uh, you know, focus my time and energy on. It's, it's not easy to do at first. It's a skill. We have to practice it over and over again because yeah. the computer in the head wants to have a voice of its own. The computer thinks it wants to be the boss, but it's not the boss. The computer is a tool for us to use. That's all. Like the yeah. heart is the heart is our pump, right? The the kidneys, liver are filters, and the computer yeah. does does computer stuff for us. But it wants to take over, so therefore it'll come in with a whole bunch of stories about the past, a whole bunch of things that might happen in the future to distract us from the fact that this is all there is. There's nothing else. So part of the skill training is to learn to control the computer. I feel very yeah. strongly about that. We have to learn how to use the tool. If it puts on something unpleasant, we have to have the skill to change the channel a little bit and put on something else, a mystery, a comedy, uh, some yeah. loving thoughts about people we care about, but you know anything else. Yeah, These exactly. Are, right, exactly, and put such important lessons for us all. Yeah. So, okay, you started in 2017, three years later with, with MDMA. Three years later, you had the experience, I mean, with MDA, excuse me. Yeah. Three years later, you had the experience with MDMA and psilocybin. And now we're go. and then you had the seven grams of psilocybin. And now we're coming to the big kahuna. Let's hear Yeah, the grandmother. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not the yeah. biggest. It's not the biggest. The, the biggest. Big, the biggest for yeah. me is the big LSD dose. But let's oh, go. Oh yeah, on. I did. I did. I I did that like in between. So after my seven grams, I've had several LSD uh, journeys since then, right? And and uh, yeah, they, but not they, not have, supers. How how many how many micrograms? Uh, you know, they're about 110, 120 micrograms. Yeah, for the know? kind of work you want to do, the way you talk about wanting to go deep, yeah, you you need at least two fifty, maybe three or three fifty. 
110 won't get you to the depth that you want to go. Right. In. But you like it, yeah. you know, it'll, you'll like it. Yeah, I, I love, I loved it. My first one was was very super challenging. Like, I, I mean, I was very emotional to the point that I had to call Fireside, uh, you know, uh, and 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 ask for help uh, at that you, point. You, you didn't have a guide sitting next to you. No, not for the not for the first time I oh. tried it, and I'm going like I wish, and 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 since then it sort of confirms for me that no, I need to have someone. I need to have someone there. Oh, uh, almost everybody does, Neil. Almost, you yeah. know, you, when you take a, a large dose of a psychedelic, you don't want to have to deal with somebody at the front door, or you don't want exactly. to deal with, with a leak in the roof. Or you don't exactly. want to, you know, you want or walk all, down the stairs, or like, you know, right. about where my keys are. Exactly. I'm walk out the front no. door. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to, you know, even at even at 110, 120 micrograms of LSD, it's like. Oh shoot! I need to be like I, I need to have someone here, um, you know, to, to be taking care of me, so I can just let myself go because then it just messes up with my own mindset. You said uh, you know, it perfectly. In- I, you said it so perfectly. I want to point it out. I need someone with me to take care of everything so I can do my work inside exactly, yeah. and not have yeah. to deal with anything external. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's right. and 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 after that, yeah, I've been. I've been fortunate enough to, you know, have guided, have guided sessions. And, um, you know, my first ayahuasca experience was a guided session, but it wasn't very, it, it, it didn't have a good feel, a good vibe. I think the setting wasn't good for me and the group, the group dynamics wasn't good for me, um, even though I prepared uh, really well. Um, but it just didn't, it did, just didn't feel good to me until I did my second ayahuasca, which was just about two, two or so weeks ago. And that was just, you know, absolutely amazing, beautiful. Um, it and I had, you know, I had intentions going in, and and yeah, I prepared really well, and and um, and I had really an amazing group of facilitators, and the ratio between the facilitators and the participants was really amazing, um, and you know, everybody was really really nice. So the dynamic worked really well. The setting was in nature, uh, which I really loved. It was in Mexico. And, you know, it was a beautiful place. And so I was just able to just go inside myself because everything else was taken care of. I didn't have to worry about anything. You know, uh, it was really, really amazing. Just a beautiful, beautiful experience for me um, that I don't know. I, I don't even know if I can say this on the air, air but I, I, somebody yes. said, well, what was it like? And you can I, say and it I on said, the air. Okay. So I said, what was it like? And I said, the way I can describe it to someone is this like, imagine the instant after an orgasm, like that split second after an orgasm, that sense of release and the sense of feeling, multiply that by 10x, you know, add three-dimensional fract- fractal geometric colors in iridescent colors, you know, that you get close to what that feeling is like, you know, and that, that's what it felt like uh, to me, you know. And then I thought, oh my God, this this is this is something I couldn't possibly have imagined, you know, in my wildest dreams. And it just it it was just I, I still am struggling to like I was writing my journal, but I still struggle for words as to how to describe it. And then the next day when I did five MEO, that just freaking blew me out of the I don't know, out of the universe, basically. And it was just so beautiful and just so ecstatic, just pure bliss connected to the universe 
in such a beautiful way. And, and I, I told them, like, imagine the best possible. Imagine your best ayahuasca experience, your most beautiful ayahuasca experience, multiplied by infinity, and you would get close to what I'm talking about. You know, that's, that's how profound and so beautiful and so wonderful the experience was. I was smiling the whole time for the next 10 days. I was in a six-hour plane ride coming here, and I was, fly, I was smiling. Though. I was smiling when I was sleeping. You know, it was just, it was so wonderful. And I said, you know what? But I also know for other people, it wasn't, right? I mean, I, a friend of mine was there and she cried for an hour, you know, in that experience. But she also appreciated the experience, even though it was challenging for her. So for every experience and every individual, it is so unique. It's so unique. And everyone will have their own personal personal journey to go through and discover about themselves. I was in a beautiful state of mind. And for me, it was nothing but just wonderful bliss, just love, blissfulness, ecstatic. It was just everything, all the great emotions that I wanted and wanted to feel was there. I, I just felt so much joy, uh, you know, being connected to the people and connected to this planet and connecting to the universe as a whole. It was just fantastic. Well, I think you had set the stage for it by doing a lot of the emotional work and the deep work on trauma in your life beforehand. So you set yeah. the stage for an experience of beauty. For those who don't stay to set the stage, they're liable to find their trauma and their wounds and their things like that that need to be looked at and, and made a list of. Because the psychedelic experiences are not meant to be cures, really. They're meant to be revelations so that you see what we don't see ordinarily, and then doing what's called the integration work, which can take a year or two even yeah, each time, exactly. right? That's when we really mine the depths of it. So I, I want to now do a little review for our listeners and readers to look at what we learned from you in your journey from going from a person who had no experience with these things, who had been taught that they're dangerous and bad, you embarked on it in 2015. You waited two more years for another, then a few more years. The first thing I want to comment on is how wise you were knowing nothing that you knew that you had to very carefully select your first guide. You had to be with someone that you trusted and were comfortable with. That was really smart. And that we want everybody to know. You want to pick somebody that you feel real comfortable with so that when you're doing the work, you're comfortable that they're taking care of what they need to take care of so that you can do the work. And I commend you for knowing that. That was really smart because we know there's a lot of nonsense going on and people are calling themselves shamans and who knows what, what they are and blah, blah, blah. We needn't go into that because there are plenty of good people around too. Right. Yeah. So that, that was your first thing. The second thing is you then deviated and made an error, namely... You took an experience without a guide. You didn't have somebody. So everybody can learn from that. It's, it's better. You can, you can spare yourself that experience, learn from Neil, and make sure you have someone. And by the way, after you get more experience, the someone doesn't have to be a professional therapist. It can be a close yeah. friend, a family member, somebody you trust, but you want somebody who will take care of what we might call external business right? Yeah. Material reality so that we can be going inside and dealing with immaterial reality. So that was really good. The other thing you mentioned is 
that you went in and you started, you learned about the setting of intention. And setting of intention is very important because there's really a big difference between going in to do inner work, let's say on trauma and healing, and going in to solve a tech problem that you might be dealing with or some kind of business solution. In other words, you might want to use it for creativity, which is different than using it for healing. And you determine that with your intention. The other thing you mentioned was integration. You did so, you're doing integration work. Everybody needs to know that. It's really important. You don't take this stuff and then just drop out and say goodbye, because that's a lot of like buying a gold mine and then deciding not to ever take anything out of it and living in poverty. You know, yeah. you found the gold mine, you might as well, you might as well take some out and, and feed yourself and shelter and so on. Yeah. So yeah. how did I yeah, do Integration it? is super important. And, and, you know, especially integration with your therapist and with someone who's experienced and knows what this experience is like and can help you. Um, it, it's super important, but you have to do also your own personal work inside and I have to do my own personal work to integrate it into my life. Otherwise, what's the, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's important. Now you did, you said something else, which tells us a lot about the kind of person you are. As soon as you found how wonderful you thought this medicines were, your almost immediate reaction was, I want to share it with everybody. That tells a lot about who you are, because there are people who find something and they say, I'm going to cover it up. I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> right. That's a whole different mentality. You wanted to share it with the world. And so you formed an organization. You mentioned it briefly. I want you to tell us, please, more about your organization called Mind Lumen. Yeah, Mind Lumen is, uh, comes from the word mind illuminating, and, and it's a harm reduction navigation service. Uh, it was pre- it's, it's designed to help people who are seeking psychedelic or mental health therapies and navigate them to trusted, vetted facilitators who can provide that therapy in journey spaces where that therapy can take place. It's essentially a three-sided marketplace, but we're primarily a harm reduction navigation service. That's because, and, and the, that came from my own personal uh, need because it took me three years to find somebody to get the help that I needed. And I felt like that's too long. And I wanted to remove the friction in the process and wanted to make it easier for people who are curious to go from a stage of curiosity to a state of readiness so they can get the help they need quicker, faster, easier in a trusted, in a trusted way. And so that's with, with full safety, transparency, and privacy. And that's why we exist. We are designed to help the seekers of psychedelic you know, assisted therapies. That's our focus. That's our audience. Because I was a seeker. I myself came from that perspective, so I know what that feels like. And people that are coming to me, they don't know. They're curious. They, they've heard about it. They read about it. They may read a lot of stuff, but there's like a lot of junk on there. They don't know how to decipher, you know, what's appropriate and what's not. And so we're talking about people's mental health here. We're talking about people's trauma here. And so we wanted to make sure that, you know, people have a safe way to navigate to the right person for them. Uh, and that's what we do. That's what we help seekers do. That's outstanding. And how do people contact you, Neil? How do they get in touch with Mind Lumen? And if they want to use your service to find themselves a psychedelic guide? Yeah. So the best way to do is they go to our website, which is mindlumen.xyz. There's a button there right on top that says start your journey. And that's how they can, they can, uh, they can come and contact us. There's also a contact form there. 
that people can reach out and just ask questions. Uh, they can also join the community and help us build this ecosystem for everybody. You know, facilitators, trainers, retreat spaces, all can come in and contribute and build the ecosystem so we can help as many people as possible, as many seekers as possible. We're, we want to remove the friction for facilitators, for trainers, for retreat spaces, but we're doing that in service of the seeker. That's what we're doing it for. Outstanding. Neil, we're going to take a, a small break while I give a commercial, and I'm going to ask, give you an assignment, please. What I want you to think about is make believe we just ended the interview, and you go in the other room, and then you have one of those thoughts that we've all had in our head. Oh, I just wish I would have said blah, 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 blah. So while I'm giving the commercial, you think if there's anything that you wish you would have said, and now you'll be able to say it after I finish up. Okay? Okay. Okay. So please go to mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. Check out our website. Uh, Subscribe to the program if you'd like to help us. Uh, Check out my book, Psychedelic Medicine, which brings you the foremost scientists in the United States and what their research results are with regarding uh, psychedelics. And Psychedelic Wisdom, which contains stories of 19 prominent elders, real elders like me, talking about 80s and one in their 90s, who are outing themselves in this book, Psychedelic Wisdom, and talking about decades of under-the-table self-experimentation with psychedelics. You want to check out that book. Okay, back to Neil. And could you think of anything? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I've said a lot, but I think one thing I tell people is that trust in yourself. Trust in yourself that you can do this work for yourself. And and it's so important to figure out, to discover things about yourself. A lot of people think they know themselves really, really well, but there's so much to learn about yourself. And go on the journey to learn more about yourself, and you'll be amazed how beautiful that journey is. No matter how challenging, no matter how blissful, all of it is going to be absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much. And and thank you. Thank you for volunteering to be with us today and for being here today. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you, Neil. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, for having me on. Uh, Yeah, I I hope your listeners uh, get very good messages from this and know that there's a safe space for people to go and we can help them. And thank you, listeners, for being with us on today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Listen in again next week. As you know, we broadcast live every Tuesday at 9 o'clock, and we're on the archives for you to listen to anytime you care to. Until next time, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for, and it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs>